Grassroots football is finally back and we're buzzing. Get down to play today. The UK's leading app for next game availability. Download Down to Play from the App Store and Google Play. Hello and hope everyone is well. My name is Tabriz and I'm the yeah, content creator founder of the amateur football platform. Hope everyone is well. So this episode is an interview that I did with former player care at Southampton and West Ham, Hugo Schechter. He is also the managing director and the founder of the player care group. Um, I kind of count him as a, as a really good friend of mine. And this like, interview really kind of delves deep into player care and probably what a lot of people don't actually realise that goal on behind the scenes at a professional club. And again, there's some gems in there that we can take away um, for grassroots and non-league level. So um, hopefully you guys enjoy this. Again, please like, subscribe to the podcast. Please like and subscribe to the Amateur Football YouTube channel. I'm also on Instagram, the Amateur Footballer. Yeah, that's really about it. Hopefully you guys enjoy. 100% passes! Shoot, already my studio is already falling apart. Crap, (laughs) crap. Um, hope everyone is well. Happy Sunday. My name is Sabrice from the Amateur Football YouTube channel. Thank you guys for tuning in. Today I have a very special guest, someone someone who I've known for probably about maybe, year, i say a year and a half possibly, but honestly this guy is so influential and, and like he's got crazy amounts of knowledge um, and you know, I don't want to kind of play, you know, play it down, you know, literally, you know, like I want this guy to Kind of talk about his um experiences and kind of hopefully you guys in the kind of grassroots community can like relate and of course we'll we will kind of also kind of do some relatable um examples so anyone that's kind of watching please go and click the like button the share button get your questions in let me just stop waffling let me stop waffling hugo Schechter, how are you doing sir i'm really good how are you I am well. I am well. I am well. Thank you so much for coming on to uh, the Amateur Football YouTube channel. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So, you know what? Let's go straight into it. Let's go straight into it. Hugo, can you please uh, tell the viewers your footballing journey thus far? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess if you go right back, I was a, I was a coach. Um, so, sort of 17 years old, got my level one. Um, coached under 14s, under 18s. Um, and did that in, in, in the UK. Then I went to America for university where I continued to coach football, uh, women's and men's, or g- girls, I guess, and men's. Um, and then um, kind of was doing my coaching badges. I could try to get involved in all the co- football and other administration I could. And eventually I um, try, had to get a job. Obviously I graduated in, from my uni in America, sports business degree. And my first club was a second division American team called Indy 11, uh, which was a um, startup franchise in the second division. So club didn't exist before I got there. We had one player, one manager, um, and that was it. And so we had to kind of build that team up and build a fan base and build a training ground and everything like that. So a really cool experience. Then I went to, from there, I got a job offer from Southampton, where I was player liaison officer, uh, the first one in 
Southampton's history. And so working with the first team players on on the off, off the field stuff for them. And then after three and a half years was approached to be head of player care at West Ham, where I've just left after two and a half years in December um, to start my own business uh, as a consultant in the, in the industry. So, yeah, quite a varied thing with some coaching, some America, some, you know, men's, women's, you know, a bit of grassroots, obviously, as well, which obviously is relatable to you guys. And then, uh, yeah seven eight years in the premier league as well so yeah really cool journey so far anyway wow amazing and and you know um let's kind of quickly touch the touch um on a quick point that west ham are, pretty, are doing pretty pretty well now um mm. and um you know you've like been there you know for like a few years um how how like was it for you from like last season to to like when you left this season yeah i mean i think you know, if you count last season as as obviously including the break for COVID, it's it's unprecedented, and to and to be in a position of responsibility in the club through that was really really tough. Um, but really great learning opportunity as well. I mean, the Premier League or the top division hasn't stopped since 1945. So you know, to think about how big an occasion it must have been to to stop the football and but then also try and you know keep everyone safe, keep everyone well, keep a competitive advantage as well because you know you have to kind of balance that. Are we doing the right thing? Are we keeping everyone as safe as we can? To we're keeping everyone safe, but we still got to win on the, on the weekend. So, really, quite difficult decisions that had to be made. And uh, yeah, we. I mean, because when the game, when the season stopped, we were I think level on points with the relegation zone, or at least one point. I mean, it was very very close, and we knew we had to come and hit the ground running with those nine games. And we did. We stayed up quite comfortably in the end. And obviously, um, West Ham are flying just just beat Spurs, which is great to see. And uh, Best team in, in in London at the moment, which is oh, wow. you know, yeah. <laughs> which, yeah, is, yeah, which is something you you don't normally think you'd hear. Of <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's I mean, fair play to them. Obviously, like I was there until the end of December, and then since then they've they've flown. I don't know if that's because I left or, or, or not. Uh, because you know, left. Yeah, we <laughs> like right, guys, let's get it now. We can stop losing. We're just going to keep winning. Uh, but no, really pleased for them. Obviously, I know, know a lot of what all the guys there really, but um, really fantastic to see it. And um, yeah, the, the players and the manager and, and the backroom staff that deserve all the success. Cool, great stuff. And kind of going on to uh, that next point, and you kind of mentioned that you that you left West Ham to actually start up your own business, PlayerCareGroup.co.uk. Mm. Um, Can you please talk to the audience about what this is about? Yeah, so I've kind of been working in, in player care, which is, I think, if we sort of talk, what is player care? I think it makes more sense. So player care is kind of everything that is not football or medical, that is kind of goes around the, the, the first team of, of a football club. So we're talking about team travel, team scheduling, um, team internal communication, uh, player relocation, family, you know, family support, uh, well-being, mental health, um, you know, there's there's so much that goes into it. So, you know, you've got the personal player side, you've got the team side, and that, and that kind of builds it in. So what my business is doing is we're a consultancy, so we'll go into clubs um, in the UK to begin with, and then uh, both abroad and also in other sports going forward um, to kind of either improve their player care or, or start up from scratch. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a new consultancy. Um, it's been interesting, obviously, starting a business in the middle of the pandemic, probably not what people would recommend. Uh, but actually, because football's kept going, it's been, it's been good. So, yeah, really enjoying it. 
No, brilliant, brilliant. And again, um, let me just say thank you for people who are watching. Thank you for all the likes as well. If you've got any questions, please fire fire them in. And just by saying that, uh, thank you to James. Um, love to see this kind of stuff, fella. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And again, thank you to everyone that's been supporting the channel. So let's kind of talk about um, this, this, this subject in terms of, you know, I think people in general put footballers on a kind of pedestal mm-hmm. um, and like how like, you know, important was it for you in like your role to, to kind of debunk that and literally almost trying to humanize footballers. I mean, literally what's the kind of whole process um, for, like, for like you at Southampton and can also at West Ham? So I, I don't really see them as superstars or heroes because obviously they're, they're like my work colleagues, you know, like we all have. So it's I, I still find it odd when people will call a player by their last name, and obviously that's like Noble, Noble. I'm like, oh, I just call him Mark or Noble. <laughs> it, it, even that is like they're being called by what they're written on the back of their shirt, but it's it's not their name. And I think it's really important to understand that you've got you know 25, 26 humans in a squad, but also you know backroom staff and, and coaches and managers as well. They're all they're all humans with different issues and that's kind of what we've tried to look at is is removing distractions to allow them to focus but also understanding that people have stresses they have pressure they have other issues and I think it's stuff that potentially that you and I don't experience on a, on a regular basis it's you know the fact that you're in the public eye all the time um, and I think you know looking at I know there have been some footballers who have breached COVID and, and for, for various reasons COVID re- restrictions and, and I, it's not it's not good but I think if, if we're all looking at ourselves totally honest, honestly, do you, have we all followed every single rule since March 2020? I would strongly doubt it. So the, the, the difference is that is either the footballers are stupid enough to put on social media, which then they, they deserve everything they get. Um, or, the, you know, they're just someone who's, who's, you know, lonely, struggling, you know, the same as everyone else. So I don't think there should be different rules for them. But I think, you know, the fact that you and I could probably meet up with a mate in the park to have a chat now it's not going to be in the newspaper. If they do it, probably someone will spot them and put it on social media, then it will get a common thing. So it's just, it's those kind of things where, you know, they're having to work through COVID like everyone else, but they're probably under a little bit different pressure and it's not as easy for them to be vulnerable, especially when there's there's more games than there's ever been. Every game's on TV. There's been no break, effectively. There was a two-week break, and normally it's a five-week break. So... You know, it's 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 a tough situation. I think I'm I'm think you'll continue to see injuries. Um, I think you'll see performances dip, and I think especially like when we get towards the Euros, I don't know what kind of quality that's going to be at the Euros because they'll have been going for two and a half, two and a bit years at that point, mm-hmm. like really without a proper break. And so it's it is really tough. It's really tough. But also, you know, at the end of the day, there there's a lot worse positions to be in than a professional footballer. So you know, we've got to understand that as well and understand our position in the in the ecosystem, but while I understand that these guys have, have problems too. Yeah. No, amazing. And um, thank you to like George. Um, great, great stuff to, to breeze player. K is absolutely huge. Sim- simplest way for me to describe it. It's as valuable as the entire clubs are worth. Um, do, yeah. do you, do you agree in terms of what George has said? I mean, I'd love to think that the player care department's worth as much as the entire club, <laughs> but uh, no, I get, I, I think if you look at it purely financially, the, the players are the biggest asset to the club. And so, you know, if, if you're, if you buy a, a 10 grand TV, 
you're not going to go and get a plug that you found on the floor outside and put it on. You're going to get the best cable, the best plug, everything like that to make sure that it's working, the picture's perfect. And so it's the same for me and player care. Is We're going to spend £50 million on a player. Why would we let the just say, I'll oh, sort it out yourself? And I think, you know, what player care does is it removes the risk from clubs or, or lowers the risk that players not gonna, are not going to succeed. And so we try and take care of all the off-the-field bits to make sure that they're performing as well as they can. And I think, why would you take that risk and, and let a player, you know, maybe not be able to find their way? You know, I, I look at it, you know, one of the first players I worked with was a, a young Senegalese player and he moved here from Senegal via Austria. And I'm like, he was 19 or 20. And I'm like, if I moved to Senegal age 19, would I know how to find a house, how to find a car, how the council tax works there, where the bin, when the bins go out? No. Mm-hmm. So why should we expect people to know that when they come here? So I think it's trying to just remove that stress, give them the chance to, you know, really find their own feet. And then, and then you know, yeah, we want them to be self-sufficient, but it's sometimes too much of a risk where you're, you know, you're, you're, you're going to put that risk into someone's hands that maybe doesn't know what they're doing so much. So why wouldn't we, we cover this for them? Yeah. No. Oh. I love the answer. Love the answer. So um, there's some good people, or you know, I'd say kids, um, you know, people at that age that are kind of probably knocking on um certain academies doors, or you know, people who who can actually have that kind of aspiration to actually become pro. Um, can you can you kind of delve deeper into um like the kind of footballing job or the kind of footballing industry? Um, and you know. Again, you know, it's kind of not all glitz and glamour. There's, mm. there's like a lot of things behind the scenes that, like again, you like you've been witness to. Um, how, how important is like this kind of, you know, I'd say, bullet point for like people out there to, who are kind of looking to um, go like to that next level um, into the um, elite industry. Yeah, I mean, I think if I can just talk personally, I think, you know, for seven, eight years I've lived in cities or areas where I don't have connections, I don't have friends, I don't have family. So I moved to Indianapolis, which was, you know, a thousand miles from my university, but 6,000 miles from my family. Um, Lived in a city I'd never really known that well. Um, Then I moved to Southampton, which again, I'd, I'd never been to before I got the job there. And I was working 42 weekends a year, Christmas Day, New Year's Day, you know, and it's it's great because you have a great job, but actually the human side of it is is tough on people who work in the industry. And I think, you know, the players as well. And I think, you know, how many foreign players do we have in the Premier League? Those are all people who are living away from their families. But even in the UK, you know, if you're from Sunderland and you're playing for Plymouth, you know, it's it's probably quicker for you to get to New York than it is to get home, you know? Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's it's a long way. And it's obviously a very different culture and a different, different place. So I think it's, it isn't it is like the stuff that I put on, you know, when I was there, I put on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, it's it's the best highlights, but actually you don't see that the not the low lights, but the 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 work that takes to get there. So, you know, Christmas Day, I'm sat in the office responding to emails because we play on Boxing Day. So it's not a, an option. But then we go home at twelve o'clock and I've got nothing. Okay, well, my family live don't live in Southampton or, or London. So I'm like, okay, well. <laughs> delivery shut so you know just <laughs> pot noodle and uh yeah okay fine I'm, I'm not complaining about that but i think you know i think also the way that footballers are especially the ones at the elite level 
it's really hard because everyone they have to be suspicious of everybody. Yeah. Why is this person trying to be my friend? Is it because they know who I am and they want tickets, boots, shirts? Is it because, or they're looking to sell a story or whatever? You know, if if you or I are in a pub and we, we meet someone or, you know, meet someone through work, you, you think, well, they don't really need anything from me. It's just someone who wants to have a chat or whatever, or a date or something like that. Whereas a footballer, they've got to be like, does this guy recognize me? Does he know I am? what's he what why is he being nice and so you'll find a lot of players who are actually incredibly lonely even though that they're, they're popular because they've got millions of followers on instagram or whatever they're actually quite isolated and quite lonely and you know we, we, had, we had a couple of players in in lockdown who were locked down the same as all of us but not in their home country are living alone in an apartment mm-hmm. and there's nothing we could do about it like we, <laughs> i can have all the experience of the world but i can't magic up you know a solution to that and so, you know, especially when you have players from the continent who are getting, you know, their country's getting ravaged by COVID. And they're like, I don't know if I'm going to see my family again, you know? And then we're having to say, yeah, you got to come in, you got to do, you, you know, you got to do your training, you're this. And they're like, how can I even focus on this, you know? And, you know, even, even the last game of the season, last, in the, yeah, after the lockdown, um, we played Villa at home. And, that was like a Sunday game. And that night, um, the night before, the government changed the rules to take half the countries off the the list. Mm-hmm. And the problem was, because we only had two weeks off, the players couldn't go to their, com- their home countries and come back and quarantine. So you had all these players who'd book flights and hotels and it would go see family they hadn't seen in a year anyway. And the night before the game, can't go anymore. Yeah. And so we had players losing their heads. And like, absolutely justifiably... And luckily, we didn't need anything from that game because it was a horrible, horrible evening. Mm. Because you know, you got players who are like, "I've sat in an apartment for four months by myself. Um, I've I've worked hard. I haven't seen my family. I was so looking forward to seeing them tomorrow, and it's only taken away. And then they probably haven't seen them for another year. So it's because they don't get time off. You can't take annual leave in football. You yeah. can't. You know, you've got a wedding. Tough shit. You know, it, it's it's you're missing that. You're missing anniversaries. You're missing birth of kids. You're missing families you know like even funerals is difficult because you know especially in this time you know we've, we've okay i don't know Jurgen Klopp, but we've seen from Jurgen Klopp having to miss his mother's funeral i mean yeah. heartbreaking i mean i just can't think of anything worse and so it's it i think that side of the football i think it you know these are problems that everyone faces sure but i think the lack of flexibility around a job can make it quite tough sometimes yeah and and uh you know i can i can kind of definitely uh vouch um, what you said regarding how like players are very suspicious and and you know like you know even security and kind of even like yourself I I really remember when I first came to um to like do my first West Ham job and everyone's just looking at me thinking who's who's this guy just, mm. just turn, turns up there and and you know like this like the security was you know just kind of looked at me different like the players were kind of looking at me different and again you know it's you know it's about earning earning that trust yeah um and so um, so yeah i've literally experienced that first hand it's difficult because like again we're, we're you know from the inside we're trying to suss you out and we're trying to make sure that you're a good person which obviously you are and like you know trying to make sure that you're gonna do a good job and i think but once the guys see you at five six seven eight games and then we got you some kit and then you know you, you, you've got, you've got like, <laughs> on the um don't ask me for this year's kit <laughs> no, uh, but yeah you know it was it was it, but there's little there's little touches where it's the same face every week and, and trying to know that if they've got to go you know with, with you somewhere then 
that you're a trusted person, you're kind of you start to come into that bubble a little bit. So, you know, it, we we try and have that kind of us versus them mentality a little bit because certainly competitively you need to have that. But even like in COVID times, it's you know you shouldn't be seeing people outside of your bubble. You shouldn't be going to this because you put the team at risk. And and so that was the same with everyone who's on the outside is to really say, you know, we need to stick with our own and and, and support each other and not take risks with with unknown entities, I guess. Yeah, yeah, true. And and actually, George is kind of coming again. Thank you, George, for your comments. Um, asset care doesn't just address intermediate challenges and solutions, but it also influences onward success on and off the pitch. Happy and supportive players perform on and off the pitch. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, different. yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, it's the difficulty with with what I do is it's hard to sort of quantify it and say, well, because you got this player a house really quickly, he scored two goals. Like, mm. I, I can't, I can't say that direct link. So I don't like to sort of say things where if I can't prove it, I don't like to say it. So yes, I would believe that it does affect performances because anyone who's settled, everyone who's happy, works better, performs better. Um, but I think also it's, we're all part of a team. And like, you know, we at, at, at any football club, you have the coaches, you have the player care, you have uh, video analysts, you have physios, you have met, uh, doctors, you have sports scientists, you have the chefs, the nutritionists, the kit men, security, ground staff, you know, all these different groups. And there's, there's more as well that go into winning on a weekend. And so I don't like to say that player care or asset care, as, as I think it was George that said that, referred to as directly affects it. Sure it does, but everything affects it. And what we try and do as a department is be that glue between all the different departments as well to try and make sure that everything runs smoothly. So we don't show up and the grass isn't mown because no one's told the groundsman that we're training. Like that kind of yeah. little bitty stuff is, that's a small mistake but make, can make a massive impact because they're having to wait around or the pitch isn't like they want it or whatever. So it's it's all the little bits that go into those sort of 0.1%, so those marginal gains that go into trying to win the game on the weekend. And um, yeah, when it works, it's great. And when it doesn't work, it's it's not great. Mm. And um, yeah, you've, you've kind of, you've uh, kind of literally kind of gone into this, this little bullet point uh, regarding mm. when that kind of things go well and not so well. I, I can... If it's kind of all right for let me to kind of give give a quick example. Um, there was uh, two games where you know where I kind of noticed it. The game last season where West Ham lost to Crystal Palace in the last minute. Okay. Um, I think that was when I can't remember. Um, um, yeah, I think we we like conceded in the kind of last couple of seconds, and also yeah. the Liverpool game as well um, mm-hmm. away. Um, I saw, you know, quite a few of the players really distraught and really upset. Mm. Um, and, you know, of course, you know, like players and management staff, you know, people behind the scenes, you know, it's, you know, as you've said before, it's a kind of unforgiving, oh, forgiving sport and, you know, it's relentless. How how do you, um, you know, kind of pick up players, pick mm. up management, um, pick up your colleagues and your staff after after results like that and also how is the mood when you've kind of won a game pretty convincingly yeah I I think I always see my role as trying to be the level-headed one because like because during a game I don't really have a lot to do Um, I did this subs board for a little bit this season just because of weird COVID rules but for me it's not my I don't see my role as getting overly emotional either positively or negatively so I want to 
be there to support the guys when we win, but also, you know, when we lose, just be that efficient person. I think, and the longer you work in the environment, the better you kind of understand what 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 then what each person needs because it's not even a team thing; it's an individual player thing. Some players like to have a laugh and a joke. Some players like to be really serious. Some players could chat for days. Some players will say you know nothing to you unless they need something. So it's not about having that sort of one one plan fits all kind of uh, approach. It's about having this individual approach. And so you know after a after a after a bad loss, you would kind of you know, at the end of the day, you need to be operationally sound. So if it's an away game, you know, is the plane ready? Is the food ready? Is the kit man ready to go? Is that, and and what you don't want to be doing is is losing your head and throwing stuff around the change room and then the plane's not ready and you're like, well, what have you been doing? Oh, you've been throwing stuff. Why are you upset? Like, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's, it's trying to be that level-headed one, but also like sometimes players just need to like scream at something and sometimes that something is you. And it's like, I don't know. Uh, I know it's never directed at me, but like sometimes you just need to like basically let them let off steam or chuck something around or whatever. That's fine. You know, it's it's about trying to be there when you when you're needed and also not get in the way when you're not needed. And I think knowing way when you when you're needed and when you're not is really important. But it's you know the highs are amazing, and that's that's the best thing. One of the best things about working football is the highs are incredible and the lows are. Keep it simple. Get down to play today. The UK's leading app for next game availability. Download Down to Play from the App Store and Google Play. Terrible. You know, I, I with, with Southampton, I was lucky enough to go to a cup final, sat on the bench at Wembley, and I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever done. You know, you're at Wembley, there's 90,000 people there. The whole city of Southampton is, is watching or is there. We are, you know, going up on the bus, up the M3, there was, you know, banners on the on the bridges across you know come on Southampton and we went 2-0 down came back to 2-2 and it was like we could do this here and then Zlatan popped up the goal oh. and you had in that one day you had the highs of being sat on the bench at Wembley oh. and then that 82nd minute lost goal and just the and that sort of you don't get that in other jobs you know so but you know it's hard to it's hard to come back. No, I, I was really down off the Wembley final because I thought we had such a good chance to win it. And it took my, me, like at that night, I remember we had like a party that we were supposed to go to and I just didn't want to go. And the players didn't want to go. And I was told like, you've got to get them to the party. So I had to like pull myself together. I was devastated and I was really struggling to get out of the room and just, I knew I was going to get grief from the players who didn't want to be there anyway. And I'm like, I don't want to go. You don't want to go. Let's just go. And let's just, be there for an hour and then you can go kind of thing. And it was, it was really tough because for a couple of days I was like gutted because I thought, you know, I'm going to win something. I'm going to be able to tell my grandkids that I won a cup final at Wembley and well, I can tell them I went to Wembley, but you know, <laughs> so does everyone on the, on the tour, you know, the stadium tour, but uh, yeah, you know, the highs and lows are incredible. And um, I want to kind of probably go like back right at the start of your kind of um, footballing journey. Um, when like you was in the states, when like you was um, like the head coach or managing um, your kind of college team, um, yeah. like what what certain things did like you do if if again like you know but like results were good or bad or indifferent? Yeah, I think what I really miss as a coach is being the one in charge and like being able to look at everything and make decisions. And I think I'm hopefully now I'm I'm not working full time football to be able to go and do some more coaching again, but. Um, it's, I think what we did there was actually it set me up quite well for this player care role because 
we had a, a you know uni team i was assistant manager then i was head her head coach or, or manager and then but what i focused on was the off the field bits so we made sure that we were always on time i was super strict i mean like crazy strict with, with like strict than the premier league clubs are uh in terms of being on time and you know like i mean you you know if someone's late for the bus we'll sit and wait for them mm-hmm. my uni team we once traveled i made a point and we traveled with eight players three hours to a game really? because oh, wow. five of them were late and i was like nah not having that let's go and i was like the players were annoyed at me i said like, don't be annoyed at me be annoyed at the players who showed up late and so we went there got destroyed drove three hours back and it wasn't me it was the bad guy it was, it was them that you know the players didn't show up and that it was like that self-policing thing where i'm i was like well, what do you want me to do sit and wait we're gonna sit and wait for how long 10 minutes an hour like we gotta go and so like that kind of stuff we were super strict on but we were the only team doing that. So off the field, we'd show up on time. We'd have all the kit, you know, perfect. We'd have a, a meal. We'd have a plan. We weren't technically very good. I'm not a tactically brilliant manager. We played 4-4-2 every single game. But you know what? Like, we went from outside the top 1,000 in the, in the country to the top 24 in the country. And that's, you know, 980-odd places jumped because we were well-organized and we got there. And teams saw us get, off, get out of the cars you know, you know, perfect track suits, ready to go, right, warm up, everyone is together, no one's on their phones, no one's messing about, they're there, they're sorted, they're organised, they're warming up, and you're like, who are those guys over there, you know? And I think that's something that any team can have. It's if you, if you, it's when it goes kind of from being a bit of fun with your friends to if, to if you're like, we actually want to win this, then put these things in place and be strict and be, I'm sorry, if you're not here on time, you're not going to play. And if it hurts the team for one game, then you make a point and you just say, well, you're responsible. Not me. I'm not, I didn't make you late. Make, get here on time next time. You know, everyone wearing the same clothes, looking, looking fresh, but looking professional, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that like everyone has water. Like if you've got bottles of water, if you've got bananas if at half time, if you've got or, or oranges or whatever, have you got everything you need? I've got all the registrations done, all the kits ready, all this is ready. Everyone's got their boots. Everyone's got their shin pads because it's those little steps that when you're coming to play opposition who don't have that, they might be technically better than you, but also the players, they, they walk in an inch higher as they come on to pitch. And I was speaking to a player who went from, from Southampton to a, a much bigger team. And he, 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 when he got there on his first day, they in the locker room, in the, in the, um, in the training ground, they carved his name in wood and like put his shirt number in his locker. Wow. And he said like, I just felt like I'd arrived. And what's mm. that cost? A hundred quid? I don't know. You know, like, okay, mm. not a grassroots thing, but like at Premier League level, I'm like, of course they've done that. Wow, amazing. They've got the carpenter in at four in the morning. He's mm. built this out. They've done it. I don't know how they've done it, but he's like, look at this. Mm. My name is carved into the wall. I'm in a big club now. And so yeah. you, you step your level up. But it's all those little things where if people around you step, if, if you step your level up, people around you either have to step the level up or, or go and i think that that would be my, my my thinking on this is that these little bits where you look professional you look polished and even at west ham and, and sometimes i get frustrated because we didn't have those bits sometimes you know like when t- when teams want to travel in suits this is always like a big thing with players suits versus track suits mm. now the old <laughs> the old-fashioned guys especially the managers like suits but you know how much of a faff it is when you've got players two hours before kickoff and they can't find their tie or their shoes aren't 
polished or the jump the jacket's been sat in the back of the car crumpled and then they're faffing about that and you're like we would have been so much better off going in tracksuits because everyone has a tracksuit and they can put it on they can leave it in the car for for a week and it doesn't show and so they're not focused on the, the suits they're focused on the games and actually you got to a point where some of the big clubs they have like a suit van that goes up drops all the suits, checks everything's there, dry cleans it, puts it in the hotel, puts it in there. So the player has to put it on, and then he takes the the, uh, the game, takes it off, and it's taken away and all sorted for him. And that's fine, because if you want to look that freshness, that suit sponsor wants that, you've got to go to that next level, rather than just trying to half-arse it, and then you have crap suits that look shit, <laughs> um, rather than, like, and it looks worse than not wearing a suit at all. So... It's those kind of like marginal gains that we try and talk about. And okay, I, I and I'm you know, I know that a lot of this isn't that relevant, you know, isn't stuff that people can take away. But what I'm trying to say is that those marginal gains, those little bits of that vision, that how you look is so so important. Yeah, honestly, you know what? I love that. Hugo, I love you. Hugo, I love you, man. I absolutely love you. And you know what? Um, thank you for everyone that's that's been commenting and, and liking. George, you are uh, an active member. Thank you so much. And he has a great question. Who cares for the player? care professional interested to know what hugo does for self-care and self-management to maintain his professional standards during stressful or down moments it's a great question um i was lucky enough at west ham that we had three of us doing the job so um you know i, I was head of department so a lot of it fell on my shoulders but if i was having a bad day or i needed a day off i could easily delegate to, to my two excellent guys and so that was how I would kind of cope with it is just try and try and switch off a little bit. But you, the way I work was I was in when the team were in, I was off when the team were off. So, you know, my days off could switch all the time and, and, you know, it's, it's not always easy, but you kind of grow a little resilience, I guess, I guess over time, um, you know, being on call 24 hours a day, you just get used to that. You know, you're, I still get my phone. Like I feel like a phone phantomly ringing and I don't <laughs> have a second phone anymore, but it's just like, you know, I'm just like, oh, God. <laughs> or, or like I'm on a call like this, and then I see a player calling, and I'm like, oh my god, and I'm like, I don't work for him anymore. Like, somebody can call someone else, or I'll grab it in a minute. <laughs> but it's that, uh, you know, you just get used to it. And I think, but talking to not only my peers at the club, but also peers at other clubs is is really useful. Um, but also, I think to have a good social balance as well, and that's why you know I found it easier living in London because a lot of my friends live in London, so. I can actually go and be social with people outside work. And I, at West Ham, I made a, a conscious decision to draw a really strong line through people at work and my fr and my colleagues and people outside work and my friends. And I wasn't trying to go to the, I don't know, the analyst, hey, do you want to go for, for a drink? Because then it gets into a point where you see these people all the time anyway. Mm. But also then if, you, if you're friends with someone from work and then, you have a disagreement at work, which often I did because I was the head of department and my department kind of sits slightly different to the other ones in terms of it's more operational, it has to get things done. Um, whereas they're looking for more internally at the very small part that they look at. We were trying to look at the bigger picture a lot of times. So sometimes that's upset people. Sometimes it's like, we're well, my friend, what are you what are you doing? But you sometimes have to just, you have to be direct and you have to be strong with people. And, um, you know, it's much harder when you're friends, friends with people because you're like you, you feel bad or you know i don't know you try and make a decision on a staff member or something like that and you know oh well he's got three kids and this and this yeah i know but if you're, if you're not performing you're not performing you know and that's it's it's not very harsh very cold-hearted but i think to have that that professional distance is, is important oh, brilliant and and let's kind of 
quickly talk about uh, communication. How important is um, communication to not only to the elite players, but also at grassroots level? So like what what advice can you kind of give to Sunday league coaches or managers, you know, in the change room at halftime? Um, and, you know, yeah, can you kind of elaborate on, on, this, you know, on this bullet point? Yeah, I think for me, it, it, I kind of brushed it earlier, but it's about the individual. And I think obviously that kind of goes against it where you think the team is is obviously the most important. And you need to have team messages, but to have, to see that some players react better to, you know, screaming and a bollocking. Some players react best to, you know, an arm around the shoulder. Some players need both. Some people's players need neither. So I think trying to take that individual approach where, you, you, you know, if you're a coach in, in the change room, have your your team talk and then maybe pull one or two players during the game, after the game, whatever, and just try and give them the feedback that they need. Um, I think the biggest frustration I see even with players in the Premier League level is they don't really know where they stand. And I think everyone prefers to have to have that direct, you know, you're sorry, mate, you're not in my team. You, you know, you're not in the team. You've not been playing well. This, this, this reason, this, 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 why. Or we've got too many players and you're the one I'm picking to miss out this weekend. And I think the amount of times I've seen players not get in the squad or not get on the bench or not get into start 11, and then they, they build this like reasoning in their head, which no one has said to them, but it's like, well, he must hate me because I'm this, 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 and I'm, I'm never going to play again. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's left you out because we've already got two goalkeepers in the squad. <laughs> we can't have three. So, you know, that's, that's what, or whatever it is. And I think it's, it's about clear communication. I think certainly maybe not so much in the grassroots in the UK, but or potentially actually, but understand where people's language skills are and not only in terms of English, like we have that a, a real issue obviously with all the different languages in the squad. Um, you know, some players speak fluent English, some players speak basic English. And, and one of the things we we made sure was is that they learned English straight away or, or start lessons. But a lot of what I would end up doing is translating English to English and simplifying people's language because you know, we would be on like on a, you know, with an estate agent and they'd be like, well, there's this beautiful triple aspect, you know, bifold doors. And they're like, what? And you're like, it's big, big, big doors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the same yeah. thing. But the estate agent is using these flower languages. And I think that's the same when you're, if you've got a squad who've got either people who don't speak English as their first language or whatever, like even using like slang can be really confusing. Um, you know, especially like in East End of London, there's a lot of, a lot of slang. And I think, but you know, we we had players who who came in from abroad and they struggled more with the Scouse and the like Glaswegian accents than they did with learning English. Like they could understand me, but they couldn't understand you know our guys from up, up north. So you know it, it's it's basic things like that where actually I think you got to put yourselves in their their shoes a little bit and just say like you know I might speak French like I do G, I did GCSE French, but I couldn't say that I'd understand all the Parisian slang. That if I went there, I'd have no idea what they were saying, you know. But if they spoke very clearly and and, and slowly, then I'd understand. So, I think be clear with people, be, be you know, communicate directly to them, and understand where people's limitations may be and how you need to adapt your own language to help them. Um, because at the end of the day, if people don't understand what's going on, then then you're screwed. And um, were like players willing to actually learn English, and you know how like many lessons were like players taking a day or a week. So we had we set that culture that they had to learn English. So some clubs don't have that, and I, I think that's wrong. Um, but we had a very ex clear expectation that when you came in, you would learn English. And whether that's through formal lessons, you know, it could be a teacher in your house, it could be a teacher online, it could be a teacher at the training ground. 
I mean, we always offer like a school lesson, but no one ever wants to do that. So, um, or you could just, you know, improve your English by talking to people and, and doing like a, you know, Duolingo on your phone or whatever. But the expectation was within sort of three to six months, you should be doing interviews in English. You should be, even if it's very broken English, you shouldn't be able to hide behind that yeah. because not only does it hurt the club financially where they can't, you know, key players can't do commercial engagements or whatever. Um, but also like if a manager needs to speak to you in the middle of a game, and you don't understand what he's saying, you know, it's a disaster to try and get other member of staff or another player to come translate. You know, the moment might be gone or you might have missed the chance or whatever. So, um, yeah, we, we try and do as much as possible. Um, I would say at least sort of twice a week kind of thing. But, you know, some players are more interested than others. But we didn't have any players in the end who, who couldn't speak English. We had a number who arrived not speaking any English. And, you know, within yeah three to six months, they'd all be speaking at least some level of basic English. Amazing, amazing. So this like point, um, I, I can I can kind of definitely relate to this. I mean, at like kind of grassroots level, um, yeah. especially at Sunday League level, people come together because of their mates more yeah. so than like you know anything else. And of course, you know, that can create divisions and and kind of clicks in in a club. Yeah. Um, at at elite level, um, I don't know. I mean, you know there must be, you know, again, you know, certain like people that may talk to their like friends a lot more. I mean, how, how like do you break that kind of click and that kind of, you know, in-house group and literally make everything more inclusive um, for, for, of course, like the better, or you know, for the team and also for the club? I think that, I guess the difference of the elite level is that it's not people coming together with their mates. It's, a group of colleagues who've been put together, you know, and so it's more like a work environment. I think you're naturally going to get people who gravitate towards the others, you know, whether it's through, you normally see the two sort of cliques are age-based or nationality-based or nationality-slash-language-based. Um, and to be honest, we don't try and, like, actively break it up. I think everyone understands that we're all one team at the end of the day. And, like, if the two French guys want to have lunch together, then... Sure, no problem. You know, um, you know, we will do team events or team bonding things where people are, you know, in, in groups of people they wouldn't normally speak with, and that's that's fair. But I think I don't know any team in the world that doesn't have, you know, at least some people who kind of gravitate to each other, want to sit next to each other. But you know, that's the same when you know you're grabbing a coffee, you probably have a look and see who's gonna go make a coffee, and you're like, Oh, I like it, I'm gonna go I'm gonna make a coffee at the same time, have a chat. Oh, she's coming up. Oh, God, I won't. <laughs> uh, like, if, the, if, the, if the company was like, if the company was like, you have to all have a coffee at the same time, and you have to sit, it would be weird, you know. It's yeah, just yeah, yeah. Work. So I think making sure there's no problems with the squad is important, but to remove, you know, then they people go drift towards cliques because that's where they feel comfortable. So why would we try and make people feel less comfortable by breaking these up now? It's a problem where you have like, you know, this squad versus this squad and these guys don't talk to the other. But I've never seen that in a professional team. You always have you know one or two guys, that, you know, in the eight years I've been doing it, that people, players don't gravitate towards or they don't really like so much. But they still respect him. They still need him, you know. And I think even when you have players who are divas as such, if they're performing on the pitch, no one really cares. You know, you just you just kind of crack on. And I think it's not about creating one big happy family. It's about winning games. And so you want to try and keep players comfortable, obviously get them, get to know everyone. And we will do, as I said, activities that mix them up a little bit, but it's not in terms of just, you know, random numbers on the bus and this is who going to sit next to for the next four hours on the way to Leicester. Like it would just be, they'd be like, well, I don't, you know, he doesn't speak good of English or I don't know, you know, the older player might not want to sit next to the, the 18 year old who's looking at 
on Instagram for girls and cars. And he's, you know, a married guy with three kids. You know, he might be different, you know, different different lifestyles, different interests, everything like that. So I, it's not something I worry about too much, to be honest. Cool. How important is it to identify leaders on and off the pitch? Um, and, like, you're getting, you know, you, you've, like, been, like, involved at the um, elite level for many, many years. So, like, you, so you've seen kind of characters who, like, you've seen, like, straight away, like, yeah, like, I can rely on you, 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 you. And there's probably people that have literally evolved into that kind of leader status. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's exactly you know same at grassroots and Sunday league level there are certain players where they have so much of an influence on the team every time they speak you know people people listen and again how how important you know is it for like you um and can also management to to literally identify those um players and not can only get them on side but you know to literally be a positive um a positive influence on the team I think you don't get many people who are around the elite football who are kind of not leaders because then you're playing at the, the, the top of your game. You are playing in front of 60 to 90,000 people. Like if you're a shrinking violet who doesn't like people, probably not the, the sport for you really. Mm. Um, there are always going to be people who stand head and shoulders above. And like, obviously at West Ham, that would be Mark Noble who is Mr. West Ham. He is the captain. Everything runs through him. And so, you know, for me, when I started a club, it's really important for me to, just sit and watch and say, right, he's important, he's important, he's important. Let me try and speak to them and get them on the side first. And then, you know, it goes, it spreads throughout the squad. I think, um, you know, you get people who lead positively and, and lead negatively. But at the end of the day, like, the, the lads tend to keep each other in check pretty much. You don't really get one who kind of runs away with everything. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, like, it could be a key member of staff. Like, for me at West Ham, it was the head of medical who I got on very well with. And, we would kind of sit and talk for hours about different things we we're thinking of and different ways to approach things. And that was really, really useful for me. Um, you know, and again, like within the coaching staff, it's not always the manager who's your go-to person because he's often got so much on his plate, so much pressure. It's normally like an assistant manager or a coach who like, you're like, you know what, I can really talk to you. I really get, and like, sometimes like I might, I might, the manager might be saying something to players and I'm like, oh, he's not got that right. Or, you know, he he said that wrong, or I think he's and like I'm not going to be like it's not like tactical stuff, but it could be something like um, all right, guys, enjoy your day off tomorrow. You know, oh. go away, switch off, and I'm like, oh, we got we got COVID testing tomorrow. <laughs> well, I'm not going to go step in front of him in front of all the players. Like, you're wrong, gaffer. Mm. We've got COVID. It will be pulley system manager. Listen, mate, just let you know we've got. And, and then he'll go, oh shit, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, but you got to come back for COVID testing. <laughs> you know? And so, but it, it's really important to do things in the right way, and I think. Um, of course, you see leaders. Some some are leaders on the pitch. Some are leaders off the pitch. Some are both. Um, and I think, yeah, you just try and tap into them. But again, we're within a football club. We're all going for the same goal, which is winning matches. So you re- rarely get someone who is a leader on the pitch who is really actively working against the team, unless he's not been sold or there's some sort of off the field contractual nonsense then he might become a bit negative, but that's for the manager to deal with. So yeah. you really don't get players who are just obstinate or difficult for no reason in, in a Premier League team. Cool. The 10% chance. Um, so again, maybe like the kind of stats have changed, um, but there's a 10% chance for players at grassroots level to actually become professional and and it's even smaller to actually get into that Premier League um 
I say, um, cauldron. Mm-hmm. Um, could you kind of talk about um, certain of, uh, I say, jobs or positions within football that, that you know, um, that like, people out there may or may not know about, and and literally again, you know how you know how can people kind of apart from course like Google, but you know, um, you know, it's is there kind of certain like platforms or kind of or like you know certain um footballing bodies that you that like you them should be doing your research into yeah i think there's so many different jobs um obviously every football club at the top level is a business anyway so you have the standard accountancy marketing operations that kind of stuff but around the football team you have quite a lot of quite specialized roles um the probably two that are probably the lowest barrier to entry would be like kit man and player care because you don't need any qualifications for that um but then obviously if you're you know if you're playing non-league you're not going to become a doctor if you haven't got into you know, the club doctor if you haven't got medical qualifications so it's about looking at different things like video analysis is really interesting but again you need a degree in that um sports science again interesting but you need a degree in that a lot of these these you know more specialized roles need degrees or coaching badges or whatever um one of the things that i'm trying to do right now is to push player care as more of a serious industry and so one of the things i'm working on at the moment is an education course which people will be able to sign up and do a, a sort of six week uh one night every six weeks that's right every week for six weeks uh, a little course that will be like an intro to player care so that'll be really good um but it's it's tough because everyone there's so much competition for every job you know we post a job and then they'll have a thousand applicants you know within a couple of days so because everyone wants to work for their favorite club so the only advice i could give is is have a look at the club's jobs pages um don't be a fan and and that i mean that in in the nicest sense where if your cover letter is i'm a massive west ham fan i'm a season ticket holder i would love to work for the club I guarantee you will not be working for the club. So <laughs> be professional, be yeah. open. Make sure your social media is a good because like the amount of times I've seen people who get, actually get through the interviews, I mean, get to the interview stage and I look them up and then it's like abusive tweets towards players on their timeline or, you know, silly comments or something. And you're just like, right, well, you're, you're not going to even get an interview now. So just be careful with what you're doing. But it's not easy. It's really not easy, easy because everyone wants to do it and everyone wants to be at the top of, you know, work for their favorite club or work in the Premier League. So, um, and I think that's fine because, you know, it's not even a career. It's it's a lifestyle. It's, you know, the amount of commitment you require, especially if you're on the team side, is it really can take the love of the game away from you. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, enjoying your playing in football, it being your passion, being your hobby, but not wanting it to be your career because, like for me, like I, I coached every every day when I was at uni and absolutely loved it. Well, now I barely watch games, you know, because I've worked in it for so long. I've been to 400 and something games in eight years. And my idea of a good day off is not watching more football. So, and I think that's a, sh- I think it's a shame, but you get something where it's so full on that you're just like, I need a break from it. So um, my advice would be, if you want to do it, then do it and work hard and hustle. And, you know, like I'm on LinkedIn, I'm always happy to help people you know students and young people who want to get in the industry but um make sure you really want it because are you really going to be willing to move to swansea and half your salary to live you know in a place you've never been to working in a lower league and you know basically it's a a graft and it's not that glamorous and it's it's you've really got to really want it and if you don't want it that's fine but don't don't give everything up to go and do it, and then you realise it's not for you after three weeks because that'd be a disaster. Yeah, 
a great, great piece of advice. And uh, last but um, so, yeah, I'd say like the last kind of bullet point is the message to the grassroots community. I mean, is there anything that you, you kind of want to say to, the, yeah, grassroots Sunday league, Saturday league, the floor is yours. I think I'm actually jealous of those in the grassroots community because football's there is done for love. It's done for passion. It's done because it's enjoyment. And football in the Premier League is done for those as well, but it's it's really a business and it's really a, you know, a, yeah, it's, it's a lifestyle, but it's a, it's done because you're getting paid to do it. It's your job. Um, and so one of the things I'm really looking forward to now is, is to really try and get involved in the grassroots community near where I live and, and try and start coaching again and, and really start to fall back into love with football. You know, you can play without pressure on you. You can play without, you know, getting criticised on social media or in the press or whatever. So take it, enjoy it, and uh, enjoy the love of the game rather than trying to, you know, worry about all the stuff at the top of the game, which sometimes is is not is far from ideal, to be honest. Thank you, Hugo. Thank you so much, honestly. Like, this is like being a... It's kind of even been an insight for, like, me as well. And, and you know, I kind of just want to kind of thank you because, you know, um, you know you've you've kind of um, always kind of been about that one that person, um um, especially at West Ham that I, I could kind of talk to and have a laugh with. And, and you know, um, you literally kind of welcomed me. And then, like, the moment, you know, everyone saw me with you, then it was like, oh, yeah, like, Tibbs is all right. <laughs> so, yeah. so, honestly... I didn't, like, I didn't say that behind your back, though. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> they, they loved it when you weren't working, Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, gosh oh gosh but i mean honestly hugo honestly you know I'm, i just kind of wish you all of the success um and, and again you know um we will be talking again and let me yes. just kind of put your website up again on the screen player care player care uk. yeah uh hugo honestly thank you thank you thank you so much and uh, guys out there again thank you for everyone's um support Thank you for the comments. I salute everyone that's in grassroots football, in non-league football, at West Ham, my new second favourite club, of course. You know, I'm a, I'm a exactly. Liverpool fan. So, you know, when, you know, Liverpool scored that goal, I was like, oh. That's right. You, know, you can have a European team and you can have Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, you know what? I'm going to kind of tell you a story. So, right. you know, so... Uh, when I was in Liverpool, mm. I was like, okay, cool, like great, da da da. So can literally, um, literally, I'm not gonna say who it was, but like he, he was like Hugo. I need something from from Liverpool City Centre. Can you can I get it for me? Can you remember when you you actually called me? So I was like, okay, cool, yeah, I can do that. So I'm in I'm in Liverpool. Like this is literally my club. So I can walk out and I'm walking and I'm like, hmm. Hang on, I'm wearing a West Ham kit. <laughs> Shit, the West Ham playing Liverpool, and I, it, it was literally like it would literally blew my mind. I'm like, literally, I was sweating because I was thinking, because like I could see people looking at me. I'm thinking, yeah. oh my gosh, I'm in freaking Liverpool, like team that support, but I'm wearing a West Ham kit. So I literally had to run and get whatever I had to get, and and like she literally run, run back because anything could happen to me. Anything yeah. could, you know. So yeah. um, so yeah, thanks, thanks, you yeah. No worries. I mean, I I, I was at, I was in Birmingham City Centre. This is when I was at Southampton, and I was wearing the kit because obviously that's my uniform. Someone comes up to me, just walks by, and goes full kit wanker. <laughs> <I'm> like, 
here in Birmingham on a Tuesday evening wearing head to show head to toe kit with my initials on it because I fancy it. I just I don't understand that. So yeah, I mean I've got a Southampton fan or a West Ham fan, so it was like, you know, to get beaten up or get abused for wearing either of those, I'm like, it's my job. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I definitely appreciate what you're saying. Oh, yeah, but again, Hugo, thank you. Thank you so much for like coming on. And again, I say, I salute everyone that's in grassroots football. I salute you know anyone that's kind of creating content. I salute everyone that's in lockdown that are literally waiting for football to like, to like come back. I salute the London FA, the County FA, all of the leagues that are doing so much great stuff behind the scenes. My name has been Tabriz. You've been listening to Hugo. This is the Amateur Football YouTube channel. Thank you for watching and listening. I'll see you guys soon. This week's Selk podcast was brought to you by Down to Play, the simple app for next game availability.